Well, good morning and welcome to our uh, discipleship class. Um, in a little bit, I'm going to get some background music, uh, courtesy of our high school group, so be prepared for that. Um, we're also uh, taping this class. I know there's some people that work in various Sunday school classes and uh, are unable to be with us, and I know some of you have already said there's, cl there's uh, classes that you're going to be missing. And what we're going to do is to put it on the church website. So if you just go to uh, agorabible.org, agorabible.org, um, probably if you just plug in Agora Bible California, you'll get to, to the same place. But it'll be fairly easy to, uh, to find it. And I'll make CDs too. Okay. Okay. And there'll be CDs available as, as well if you'd, uh, if you'd like that. My name is Bob Cochran. Uh, my wife Denise and I have been going to Agora Bible Fellowship for almost 30 years. Um, I can remember the first Sunday we came walking in and getting involved in a Sunday school class and uh, it being a, uh, a, a wonderful experience for us. And uh, I've been an elder and a Sunday school teacher from, from time to time. Um, I also uh, teach as a living, I teach. Uh, law school over at uh, Pepperdine uh, Law. Uh, I practiced law school for five years uh, before I started teaching. I practiced law before I started uh, teaching. Um, and in the course of that practice, uh, one of the things that I handled was uh, were divorce cases. Um, as a lawyer who handles those types of cases, I'll actually tell a story about one of them um, a little later on in the class period, there were some cases I would take, some cases I, I wouldn't take. But of course, as a, a lawyer um, who handled those types of cases, one of the things that I wound up learning was a whole lot about, a whole lot maybe I'd rather not have known, but a whole lot about uh, some of the things that causes conflicts uh, within, within marriage. Um, and, you know, those are kind of maybe the extreme cases. Um, in this class, one of the things we'll be talking about is loving your spouse and trying to get on the right track uh, from, the, from, from the beginning. We'll also be talking about loving your kids. Um, many, how, many, how many people here have, have children? Okay, that, that may be everybody or just about, <laughs> just about everybody has children. So thinking about loving your kids but then also loving your neighbor. And as we know from Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan, your neighbor is more than the person that lives next door to you. It's the, um, you know, it's the outcasts of society that you might, uh, might run into. Anyway, it's going to be a class that'll be um, broad in focus. It's talking about loving all of the people that you might encounter with occasional focuses on, uh, on, on particular people that are in your life. I'd, uh, I'd like to start off just with a couple of stories about love in the Cochran family this week that, that came to mind that will illustrate that I'm not particularly great at this myself. I'm learning like the rest of you. 
um, but that I get some things right. I got one of each. Um, today, I, or, or this week, I was working on my, uh, my class, working on this very class, and as I was working, um, my wife returned having gone to the grocery store. Um, well, I mean, I knew she'd gone to the grocery store. She came in and she says, I'm back. And I said, oh, okay, good, good, hi. Um, I'm, uh, I've been to the grocery store. Oh, okay, great. And I kept work, working away. And There's groceries in the car. <laughs> and I thought, oh, oh, I said, Oops, sorry, I was too busy working on my class on loving your spouse. <laughs> and um, then I got up and helped her, but uh, a little slow on the take there. Um, the other story that, uh, that I'm going to tell was, uh, was just that I got an email from my daughter. My daughter is, uh, some of you know, Christina. She grew up in this church. She graduated from uh, Pepperdine and then... Uh, William and Mary with a master's in uh, school counseling and she's now a high school uh, counselor in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And because I think I'd have difficulty reading this email, I have a difficulty just reading it, not even aloud, um, my wife Denise is going to read it for us. Christina sent this to Bob yesterday, was it? Yes. Hey, Pop. So the theme of this week among the girls I saw in my office was absent fathers. My poor girls are really affected by not knowing their fathers and in their adolescent years are having a difficult time trying to figure out who they are. It just breaks my heart. Anyway, I wanted to thank you for being an amazing father. It's so hard for me to relate to this issue because you are always present, but I can imagine how difficult my whole life would be without the example you have set. Just wanted you to know that I love you, Cece. So sometimes I get it right. I, mean, I know, I know, I, I know many of you, and uh, I know many of you in the, in the audience are our fathers, and many of you have gotten letters like that from your own daughters and sort of analogous letters from your from your sons but we'll be touching on loving loving your kids in the course of the class as well I mentioned in the um, blurb that uh, a lot of the class would be drawn from C.S. Lewis's Four Loves and Gary Chapman's The Five Loves I actually have a copy of an extra copy of The Four Loves if any of you would be interested in, in it uh, the five love languages is uh, is a really I I think um, the best book about um, love and in and love and marriage uh, in particular that's out there and he's got a whole series of uh, books that are about love related to um, other uh, re relationships in C.S. Lewis's um, book The Four Loves um, he starts off going through what he calls the natural loves, just the loves that, uh, that everyone is able to experience, at least uh, hopefully able to, to experience. He starts off with um, affection, uh, then goes through friendship, then goes through what he calls eros, which is both romantic love and, uh, and, and sexual love. And as he goes through the natural loves, um, and we'll be going through them as well, as he goes through them, he points to the good aspects of them 
and the negative aspects of them. Uh, the areas where they can be taken to extremes and wind up being harmful, and the areas where they're, they're really one, can be wonderful aspects of our lives. He concludes with God's love, and in his final chapter um, says, makes the, makes the argument that all of the natural loves um, really are not self-sufficient. They're really not complete unless you add to them God's love, unless you add to them charity. That their real glory lies when they've been groomed and weeded by God's love, um, and that without God's love infecting them, uh, that they really are subject to misuse. In this class, we're going to reverse the order somewhat, um, because one of the things when you read the four loves, you get down to the end and you say, well, these, these other natural loves should be influenced by God's love, and your reaction is, well, so now I need to start thinking back about them and how, what they would look like if they were influenced by God's love. So we're going to kind of do that in reverse. We're going to start off with, uh, with looking at God's love, and then we'll get to the other loves um, after that and be asking, you know, what would they look like if, uh, if, if God was, uh, was affecting them. We're going to start with God's love, um, and uh, we'll be focusing on, on it in this class period. In next class period, we'll get to the five love languages. Some of you may have already read the book, The Five Lo Love Languages. Its, basically, its basic argument is that people give love and people receive love in five very different ways. And it's important to be able to understand how people give and receive love in order to really love them and understand what's, what's motivating them. And to really love another person, you need to understand what their love language is and you need to love them in that way. So it's a book that makes the argument that you should serve other people by learning what their language is and then loving in them in that way. I think that's a great example of the kinds of the kind of love that God loves us with. Um, it's a love that understands what our needs are and meets those needs. It's a um, if we love with God's love, we'll try and figure out what this other person needs, and we'll try and meet that. So I think it fits nicely following the uh, our look at God's love. So anyway, that's the order. We'll start out with God's love, we'll do the five love languages, and then we'll work through affection, friendship, romantic love, and sexual love. And I think that there are ways in which all of these types of love can be expressed, um, I mean, all of them within, within the marriage relationship, you know, almost all of them within, uh, within rela other relationships that we might have and that we've all probably got a lot to learn about each of the different types of love. At your tables, um, or at least in the packets in the handouts, does everybody have a handout? If you look at the next to last page of the handout, you'll see that there are questions for you to discuss at your table. 
And so I'd like to break now and ask you to discuss question number one. Uh, question number one, what examples have you seen of the breakdown of loyalty in our culture? Because uh, one of the ways in which God, God's love is very special is his loyalty to us. So, so why don't you group up? Maybe Rod, you can slide over with yep. this table for the di for the discussion time. And why don't you all just take it away within within your tables uh, for about three or four minutes, and then we'll come back and we'll discuss about uh, what you all have identified. And by the way, if you don't, uh, maybe what what you could do is to just start off by each of you um, identifying yourself that maybe there'll be people at your table that don't know one another. Take it away and we'll come back to you in a few minutes. <laughs> we'll give you about one more minute to wrap things up. Okay, I'm going to have to cut things off at this point, but let's draw a little bit of the insight that you've had from, from your table. Let me see, Melanie, maybe you can give us, identify what, what, what your table's identified. Um, well, just a lot of the breakdown of the family units and the, um, you know, high divorce rates, uh, people tending to leave their companies, you know, not being loyal to where they're working, and then also just within, um, we're getting into kind of the, like on a national level, people not really necessarily being loyal to our country, but just kind of, you know, wandering around or not um, having really a direction unless we have you know, some major crisis that sort of pulls us together temporarily. Okay. Yeah. Nine Eleven. We all got drawn together. Um, work. I just put up LeBron James. He's sort of the high-profile uh, exa example of of that of lack of loyalty of workers to, you know, em employers, uh, and the, in that case, the, the city of Cleveland. Of course, we're um, We've got similar examples, I think, of lack of loyalty uh, of business to workers. I think it uh, used to be that people would go to work and they'd work for the same employer for a lifetime. That was almost the expectation. Now the expectation is you're going to change, change jobs every, every three or four years. Good job, table number one. <laughs> Any, and, and maybe they've covered, uh, covered the, oh, the waterfront. Did any of the, the other tables talk about uh, lack of loyalty in, a, in any other contexts that we find in our culture? Uh, we, uh, we, had, we had two opposing um, views of the church, uh -huh. where you know, people hop from church to church to church if something happens, you know, the pastor has a problem, they leave, or I like this pastor over here, he's got a missionary bent, I'm going to go there, maybe for two or three years, and then I'll just, so there's a, there's that kind of lack of loyalty to that body, but on the counterpoint, if there is any loyalty, and Wendy has experienced this, it's between people in the true church, you know, as maybe the counterpoint to all the stuff going on in the culture is when you experience true loyalty amongst friends in the church, it's a real wonderful thing. Right? Okay. Yeah. Good, good. Any other sort of institutions or, or contexts where we see a breakdown in loyalty within, within our culture? 
Well, let me ask just another question of the of the whole group um, before we 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 come back to loyalty. You know, there's some concepts that are conveyed within either the New Testament, which was written in Greek, or the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew. I mean, there's some concepts that I think just are hard to capture unless you identify the word that was used in Greek or in Hebrew. And probably some of you, you know, a, a Greek word or a Hebrew word will come to mind as capturing a, con a concept. Um, what are some of the what are some of those words? And we'll limit you to one each. So if we have people that want to really show off, you're, you're limited to one. <laughs> limited to just one. What would be what would be an example? Maybe maybe those of you that were in the service uh, during the first hour, what uh, what Greek word did he talk about and conclude? This is a test. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, what uh, what Greek word did he conclude on on with a conclude with a focus on? Anybody remember? Well, he focused on the word remember. That he started with that. And he, grace but I, grace but at I'm, the beginning of the But evening. I'm looking for a Greek word. I mean, he actually used the Greek word at the... Well, anyway, we'll, we'll back off on the... Just remember, I, there'll probably be tests in future. Uh, <laughs> any, well, let's, uh, let, let's just broaden it. Any, any Greek or Hebrew words come to mind? Agape is actually that's the one. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't have, realize he used it. Yeah, yeah. You may have so quickly translated it, but yeah. he but he concluded with a focus on um, agape or agape, um, which means love, and we'll be we'll be talking, and that's a New Testament word. Um, we'll be talking about its meaning probably probably next week. Um, a significant word about God's self-giving love and the love that we should have to strangers. Any other, any other um, Greek or Hebrew words come to mind? Caleb's about to speak. Alpha. Alpha, meaning. Okay, and the beginning, and in what context? Well, it's who's the alpha? Well. Alpha literally it would be the alphabet, the first letter of the alphabet, but but Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. Okay, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the and, and the end, a description of Christ. Any other um, any other Greek words come to mind? Well well, the counterpart Or Hebrew. Yeah, well Eros I, I always identify with uh, uh, I don't know whether it's Greek or Aramaic. Okay. Eros, a Greek word. We'll get to it later. We already talked about it. Romantic and sexual love is the is the uh, the, the the meaning of it. Of it. Um, only only one day. <laughs> uh, I remember I don't know that word. It, it talks about perseverance. We just did a study on precept on James, and it talked about perseverance. And is is it an H? Does it start with? Perseverance. I can't spell either one, so I just sort of right across. Um, you know, one 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 that came came to my mind that some of you may know about is koinonia. Yeah. 
which means fellowship, capturing a special notion of fellowship that Paul talks about in the, uh, um, in, in, in the church. The ones that we've identified are uh, Greek words. They're from, from the New Testament, and uh, you know, there may be another one or two, other than hupomena, um, you know, they were words that I was familiar with, and I think that a lot of Christians would be, would, would be familiar with. Notice that none of us identified any um, Hebrew words, any Old Testament words. Well, you're going to learn one today, and I hope you'll remember it hereafter. Uh, that word is hesed, and it's the word for God's love. Hesed. The, uh, it's the Old Testament word for, uh, for God's love. It, um, I mean, it, and it may be that the fact that we don't identify it um, is a function of a sort of a stereotype of the scriptures that I think is, in, is actually incorrect. Hopefully we'll correct that. A misconception today, but there's a conception that's out there among some that the Old Testament is a story of God's wrath and that the New Testament is the story of God's love. Hence, most people, um, or many people any, anyway, would identify agape, the New Testament word for, um, for, for love. Well, this word hesed is, uh, is a, a very important one. It appears, you know, 246 times in the Old Testament, most of the time talking about God's love for us. Um, in your handout, I've included uh, substantial sections from a wonderful essay that I, that I read this week called God's Grace in the Old Testament, Considering the Hesed of the Lord. And I've got a link to that if you wanted to, uh, to see the whole thing. Uh, it's by Will Kynes. Kynes says that, uh, or notes that Hesed in the English Bible is translated in a variety of ways. So as you read through the Old Testament, you can be aware of these. The, New Ta the um, NIV most often translates it unfailing love. So just keep that word in mind. And then as you read through, if you read the, the New International Version, uh, think in your mind, Hesed. But anyway, at different places, it's translated also kindness, love, steadfast love, loyalty, favor, devotion, and mercy. Um, some of you may remember the song that we used to sing uh, 20, 30 years ago, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And of course, that's picking up on Hesed, and it's a song that, uh, that's drawn straight from, from Scripture. In some places, hesed is used at a human level, speaking of you know, the horizontal level, human relationships um, <clears throat> with one another. Typically, it, when it's used in human terms, it's talking about already existing interpersonal relationships. Um, it's relationships between family members, a host and a guest, friends, a sovereign and his, uh, and his subject. It's never used merely as an abstract feeling of goodwill, but always entails practical action. And the concept of covenant often intertwines with, uh, with hesed, um, a covenant that's made between people. Uh, covenants cement an enduring commitment in a relationship um, in which one would not necessarily be assumed 
or an uncertain future threatens. I mean, the, the most striking example or um, I, I think the most striking example at the human level is probably David's relationship with Jonathan. You may remember the story of David and Jonathan. They were friends. Jonathan's father was Saul. Uh, David had become popular with the people, and there were a lot of people arguing that David should be made king, and Saul sent his armies to try and uh, kill uh, David. Well, Jonathan's loyalty to his Hesed to David uh, caused him to, uh, to assist David in his challenge. And you see the citation there in 1 Samuel about uh, their relationship described as one of Hesed. But most of the times when Hesed is referred to, it's a re reference to God's love for us. Um, it still describes an interpersonal relationship, but now it can encompass an entire nation or even the entire earth, um, all of humanity. Um, Psalms 33.5 speaks of God's hesed filling the earth. The, as the NIV and some of these other translations of it uh, suggest, one of the primary or maybe the primary focus of hesed is loyalty. It's God's unfailing love. It's God's loyal love. It's God's steadfast love. And the, um, we're encouraged in various places within the Old Testament <clears throat> to, to praise God for it. You can see there I've listed uh, uh, that the appropriate response to God's hesed is citing different scriptures to hope and to trust um, in it, uh, to proclaim it, um, to sing of it, and to rejoice in it. And I've repeated not all of Psalms 136, but a substantial portion of it. And as you can see, it, Psalms 136 has a reframe. His love endures forever. And that's the meaning of hesed, that it is God's love which remains with us forever. And this psalm, Psalms 136, people are, you know, scholars are fairly certain was used within worship. And you would have a reader who would read the first line, and then the congregation would read the refrain. And I want us to uh, <clears throat> experience that together. I mean, as we, as we read it together in that manner, I'd like for you to note just that it, you know, all of the things that are reflections of God's hesed, of his loyal love, uh, the creation of the world, the redemption of Egypt, um, all point to hesed. Um, I've excluded several verses that go into the history of Israel. I mean, it'd be... Yeah, and God's redemption of it, just because our time is short. But I thought it might be good for us to experience reading this, knowing that we join Hebrew congregations, which um, 3,000 years ago read this same psalm in this manner.
So I'll read the first line and then you respond with the frame, which will be easy for you to remember. <laughs> His love endures forever. And then maybe you can focus as well on the things that I, that I mention, which are reflections of God's hesed. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. Who made the great lights. His love endures forever. The sun to govern the day. His love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night. His love forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of, his, of Egypt. His love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them. His love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm. His love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. His love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it. His love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To the one who remembered us in our low estate. And freed us from our enemies. And who gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. So you can see how that notion is reinforced within the Psalms of the, uh, of the Hebrew people. And um, hopefully it's reinforced uh, in your mind through, uh, through that ex- exercise. As divine hesed on the vertical plane intersects with the human horizontal plane, it transforms it. Our lives are infused with the hesed we experience from God, creating new relationships with those around us as his goodness pours through us. Um, We see this in the Old Testament when God demands hesed of his people. Um, And and this, by the way, is also from Will Kynes. Um, And we see this in Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, to act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I mean, many verses that, uh, that we do know are verses that use this word hesed uh, when it's translated, and it's translated in, in love. I mentioned earlier David's experience when Jonathan showed hesed to him, loving him in a context that would have placed Jonathan, of course, in great danger. Uh, some of you may know the, the further step in that story. Um, David becomes king, um, and then Jonathan uh, dies. And David asks the question. Uh, you see there citations to, uh, to, to Samuel. Um, he asks if there's anyone remaining in Jonathan's house to whom he may show quote, the hesed of God, the love of God. So God's love is experienced by us, and God's love, God's hesed, should flow through us. And hesed is a loyal love. So David, in his loyalty to Jonathan, 
based on their commitment, then wound up asking, you know, is there anyone there to whom he could show God's love? And uh, those, those of you who know the story know that uh, David had a, excuse me, Jonathan had a crippled son whom David then adopted and took and cared for as his own. Our home Bible fellowship has been reading through the Old Testament. It, by the way, is quite a task. I think we're now on year two, and we haven't quite made it, made it yet. But it's, um, it's wonderful to see how the story of Israel illustrates God's hesed, God's, God's loyal love. Because what is the story? I mean, we've been spending a long, time, a long time on it, but it has a recurring theme, and it recurs over and 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 over again. It'd be interesting to read it through and just, you know, be able to actually number the number of times when God does something wonderful for the people of Israel. They completely screw up and reject him, and you just think that God, oh, this is it, God's going to, you know, <laughs> God's wrath's going to pour down on, on, on these people. Um, I mean, we do have portraits of God's wrath in the Old Testament, but the, the major theme is one of him loving them in spite of their having rejected him. I mean, he saves the people of Israel from Pharaoh. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them manna in the wilderness. He allows them to take the promised land. And then over and over and over, there are um, foreign peoples who come and attack, and he ultimately gui guides them to victory. After each one of these things, and many, many more, they turn to foreign gods, they lose their trust in him, um, and it's God's hesed, God's loyal love that uh, that brings them back to him and we could probably think of instances in our own lives when we really screwed up and yet God's loyal love has has come back to us um, just in the course of uh, you know for that same Bible study this week doing my doing my studies I read Psalms 107 uh, Psalms 107 is a, a wonderful story of, of God's love, of God's hesed. I mean, you'll, you'll see in the NIV translation, um, it's, uh, it's translated his unfailing love. I'm not going to go over all of it, but, I'll, but there's, uh, there's, there's almost sort of verses and refrains here. Uh, verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Um, verse 5, um, basically God takes care of those who are in great need. Uh, some were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away when they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from distress. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, his hesed, and his wonderful deeds for men, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. 
on down a little bit. Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom. Prisoners suffered in their iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. On down to 14. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. Down to 17. Some became fools because of their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for, for men. And then several other examples, and then concludes verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. In the Proverbs, it talks of God's hesed, Proverbs 26. Um, Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. Um, Again, focusing on our need to have love for, loyal love for one another. Isaiah 54, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Hosea is a whole book that's basically about God's hesed um, and hesed expressed humanly speaking as well. Um, The the book of Hosea is, is really a, a striking book. Hosea is one of God's prophets. And God comes to him and commands him to take an adulterous wife, um, a wife who is a prostitute. Um, her name is Gomer. Well, if your mother named you Gomer... <laughs> No doubt you would have self-image problems, it seems to me. And that might manifest itself in adultery. That's just sort of my armchair psychologist uh, kicking in there. But anyway, he takes a a wife who is a prostitute, and her name is Gomer. And she doesn't discontinue this activity. She she continues it. and you know it continues with uh, with that story. Hosea three one. The Lord said to me, "Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another, and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes, which I guess is a some means of uh, of worship of other gods." So I bought her for 15 shekels. Apparently at this point, she's a prostitute and who's in slavery. Um, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. It's, a, it's an incredible story of Hesed as expressed man to woman. Um, and it's a story, I mean, you look at this and you think, why would God 
command him to marry to marry such a, a a person under you know under the under these circumstances. Well, it's sort of a you know what theologians have called a living parable. I mean, he was there visibly having this this relationship with this 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 wife in the city of Is in the uh, the con- the country of Israel, and it was a picture to the people around them of what God's love was to the people, though they had turned from God and were unfaithful to him, God loved them anyway. The, uh, you know, one, one more example where Hesed uh, uh, comes, comes forth is the story of David who commits adultery um, and then ultimately murder to try and take uh, the woman Bathsheba. Psalms 51 is one of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible. Uh, the scriptures themselves identify it as a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. An incredible story in itself. Uh, but the prophet Nathan comes and challenges David for having been unfaithful and done wrong. What's David's response? Well, it's Psalms 51. And I'm just going to read three verses, though all of Psalms 51 is is an incredible story of confession. But he starts out, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Well, of course, that word unfailing love in verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, your hesed is the basis of our confidence when we go to God in a prayer of confession. God will forgive us of, in this case, the most horrible of, uh, of sins. Um, just occurred to me, a, a sin of great disloyalty. Um, God, in showing his hesed to David and forgiving David, um, is doing exactly the opposite of what David at a human level did with his wife. God is showing loyalty in, to David in response to David's lack of loyalty. This picture of of God, God as a loyal God, God who loves his people and is loyal in that, was exactly the opposite of the picture of gods in the, in the cultures that surrounded the Hebrew people. Those of you that have studied, you know, the Greek gods and the Greek, the Greek uh, system or uh, know anything about the, uh, the near Mideast, um, and the gods there—they were the flakiest gods in the world. <laughs> you know, they were, you know, analogous to the flakiest people that you know today, who are, aren't re, aren't reliable under under any circumstances. And uh, you know, this was one of the striking things that would have caused them to uh, to cause God to stand out. There's a second question on your uh, on your your handout, and I'd like to uh, for us to go to it now. 
the question I want to raise, well, there's, you can see there's several questions there. Um, is loyalty always a good thing? When might it not be a, be a good thing? If your friend is going in a wrong direction, should you remain loyal to him? Um, if you have a friend who's, you know, maybe going to be unfaithful to his wife or her husband, or is making what seems to be a huge um, mistake with his children, maybe in response to something that a child has done, wants to cut the child off from relationship, or something of that. So if, if, there's, if your, your friend is doing something that's wrong, should you remain loyal to your friend in that context? Um, so anyway, I mean, ad address each, each of those questions. And again, I'll give you about five, five, six minutes to, uh, to address them, and then we'll come back and talk about it. We'll give you about one more minute. Okay, let's stop it right there. And um, let's see. Let's ask this back table over there. Is, is, is loyalty always a good thing? Well, we talked about it here. I, one of the things that I just kind of got out of the whole thing is loyalty entails two parties. Being loyal and then being loyal. After talking about family loyalty, business loyalty, whatever type of loyalty. An example was like, you could be loyal to someone, but if yeah, it's I not could, reciprocated, it's. If, they, if there's no reciprocation, it won't work. Loyalty. Okay. Okay. Um, it won't work, but should you stick with the person and try and keep it together? <coughs> Always isn't dangerous. <laughs> like never. Always, never. Always and never. <laughs> so that's kind of a stop sign right there. Yeah. If it's yeah. totally destructive yeah. to the to you or to your family or the relationship, you have to you know cut bait and move. Okay. And the idea was also about loyalty um, to who we believe you are, as contrasted with what you're intending to do or, or are doing. In other words, we're drawing a line saying that behavior is not acceptable in my world. Okay. Well, let's, say, let's, let's open that up to the group in general. If somebody's not being loyal to you, should you be loyal to them? If somebody's not being loyal to you, should you be loyal to them? I think of that verse that says, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Uh -huh. yeah. You can endeavor to have a relationship with somebody and even forgive them or whatever and have a loyalty to their best, to their spiritual best, yes. and get no reciprocation, and you do your best and then let it go. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you're not loyal to them, but if they're not reciprocating, there's not much you can do about it. Okay. Okay. Um, any, I mean, any, any other notions from the from the stories that, uh, that we've heard today or the verses that we've heard today about that question. If someone's not loyal to you, should you be loyal to them? I'll agree with Fred that um, as, 
as I noted, the, the stories about relationships in the human plane are typically ones where there, there, there is a, re, a reciprocal relationship that exists. But are there counterexamples that, we, that we've looked at where people are loyal even in a context of one being disloyal to them? David? Yeah, I don't know if I can articulate this right, but in all the verses uh, we've been reading, God is always unfailingly uh, loyal to us in his love for us within his, um, his, his boundaries, that he's put, it, it, within his covenant relationship mm -hmm. he has with us. If we break the covenant, he's still there, and he still allows us to come back into the covenant relationship loyally. But if, if we choose to turn his back on his covenant relationship with us, he allows us to wander off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, David was loyal to King Saul as long as Saul was king. Mm -hmm. David would not, even though he had the opportunity, would not kill Saul. And he had a respect for Saul. Um, I, I imagine we could say that you know, David went to minister to Saul with music at times, hoping that Saul's heart would change. Um, so David was there for Saul, ministered the way he could, even though disapproved of what Saul did because David knew God's heart in that area. Okay. I guess, I guess one example that comes to my mind that, that we've talked about is, is Hosea. Um, Hosea, whose wife was not being faithful to him, and yet, you know, he remained faithful to her and, and called, her, called her back. Um, I mean, the, the, as the verse I read, let's see if I can... Um, he, he called her back, and yet he called her to, I guess, a higher, a higher role um, or a higher goal. Um, you are to live with me many days, but you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any, any man, and I, and I will live with you. Um, it's a, um, you know, the, the, door, the door is open, but in a context where that, um, relationship is going to be reestablished. Um, Didn't she continue to be a prostitute after that, though? Did, I can't remember the story, but I think Hosea, yeah. it wouldn't be like an example in counseling. You'd say, well, you remain in America. <laughs> but it, it's, a, it's a type of God's relationship. But I think in the New Testament, we're called to be like God. And so if God is loyal to us, then we are called to be loyal to other people to be like Him. So theoretically, yes, but um, you know, in every situation, there's other scripture that plays in. You know. Right. Right. Are you talking about like a spiritual loyalty? I mean, what is our greatest loyal? Where is our where does our greatest loyalty lie? And I think if if God is so loyal to us, no matter what. It's a calling out for us to be loyal to him no matter what. Mm -hmm. And in our regular daily life, we display it in ways that are, to some extent, conditional. Arguably, they're all conditional. Mm -hmm. yeah. Depends on whether it fits with his loyalty and what he's called us to do. 
Yeah, I think, that, I mean, I think there are times when, uh, you know, you would let your friend go his, his own way. Um, I mean, we even have, you know, in, in Romans, it's, it speaks of, in Roman, Romans 1, uh, of, of people spinning, sinning and God uh, allowing people to go off, go off on their own. He turned them over to their own, you know, their their own devi- devices. I mean, um, and I think it, you know, it it may be that there are times with friends when or uh, other relationships when allowing them to go their own their own way, you know, and not going with them is uh, is is appropriate. In general, though, it seems that. You know God's teaching about about loyalty, particularly in contrast to what we see in the culture around us, is uh, is rather striking, and that um, you know we should we should be hesitant to cut relationships with uh, with with people. I had uh, a couple of weeks ago a, a really good friend uh, call me. He's working for a Christian organization, and he'd been working for a while. Um, for for them, and he just was sort of itching to do something else. Um, but he'd only been working for them for uh, for a couple of years, and he, you know, it, it seemed that his ministry with them was being blessed in a great great many ways. Um, the call came at a time when I'd been doing this study and thinking about uh, about Hesed, and you know, I. I told him that it might be that God was calling him to do to do something else, but that given our cultural setting, the tendency is just to pretty quickly cut the ties and move on and try something else. Um, I mean, I didn't tell him as just sort of a a blanket rule, you know, don't uh, don't go or give him really strong advice in that in in that way. Um, but I guess. I guess I uh, I think it's pretty good given the cultural influences against us in the uh, um, or on us in the in the opposite direction that that loyalty is something that uh, that we should give great weight to. I guess my my other que- my question also is what is loyalty in a particular context? Sometimes loyalty in a particular context may be to sort of stand up to a friend or some other someone in another relationship, and and challenge them in the way that they're they're going. Um, it's sort of it's a different uh, it's different from a, either just accepting what they're doing or um, go, or um, go, going the other way. Um, I remember I had a, a student one time. We were talking about some of these concepts in the lawyer-client relationship, and uh, and I encouraged them um, in a setting where your client is doing something or wants you as her, their attorney to do something that might be legal but might not be a good idea um, to engage in moral counsel. And this one particular student was kind of challenging me on on that, that's not really the lawyer's biz- business, et cetera. So you know, we had we we had that exchange, and then the same student came up to me a, a few weeks later, and she says, "Let me tell you a story." She said, 
I got a call from my sister, and my sister said she was leaving her husband and her children. She had found the man of her dreams and uh, was just so excited about this. And, I mean, this is a student who had, had used the phrase imposing our values on others, you know, in our earlier conversation. And she said, and, you know, as I said in class uh, a, few, a few weeks ago, you know, I didn't want, I mean, I thought what she was doing was awful, but I didn't want to impose my values on her. And so I just said, oh, yeah, well, you know, let the conversation continue. Um, but I didn't, I didn't take sides one, one way or the other. And she said that, uh, so we hung up, we finished the, the conversation. She said, in about an hour, I got a call from my mother, and my mother was mad as hell. <laughs> she says, I can't believe your sister's leaving her husband, and you agree with her. And she says, well, I, I never said anything that, you know, was any way agreeing, agreeing with her, and, but, but my sister had taken my silence in that way. I mean, there's some contexts in which, you know, sort of not addressing an issue is to, is to be tacit approval. Now, I think you have to be sensitive. You know, when people know where you stand, you know, you don't have to just keep pounding them with what your position is. Sometimes you don't have to clarify it. That will damage the relationship. That would not be the, the loyal thing to do. But in other contexts, um, loyalty is, would, would be to challenge somebody who's, who's going in the, in the wrong direction. Of course, these are, you know, these things are very, what you, what you should do in a particular context is very fact-specific and requires a great deal of wisdom. Um, but I think we look, to, we look to God for guidance. God showed hesed to us. He calls on us to show hesed. To, to those around, around us. God's hesed did, all, did, not, it did not generally mean that he just let Israel go and do whatever it wanted to do. God's hesed at times meant his challenging them in, uh, in, in what they were doing. So, um, you know, again, uh, I, th I think we need to stand against our culture um, exercise wisdom in situations, but recognize that our culture is sort of a bartering culture and is very quick to say, to say so long. In class next time, we're going to talk about both the um, Gary Chapman's The Five Loves, and we're also going to talk about agape, the New Testament word that's used for, for love. And You'll see in your materials a homework assignment. It's question number three. Um, take it home with you. If you, don't, if you don't do your homework, please show up next week anyway. I'm not going to call on you unannounced as I do to my, law, to my law students. But I want you to think about the sort of silly example that I've given there, but one which I think is important for, for our purposes. If you take the golden rule, which speaks, at, which describes love, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What do you do in the setting that uh, that that I suggest there? 
Chinese. Should you order <laughs> Irish food or, or Mexican food? Well, I started off with, uh, with the story of Christina and uh, the, the email that she, that she sent me. And I asked her permission to, uh, to read or have read the, uh, the email that I, that I sent. And uh, she sent a response agreeing to, to uh, allow me to, uh, to read that to you, or as I did, to have Denise read it to you. Um, and uh, Michael Rapping has, a, has agreed to, um, to read her response. And then, uh, as you'll see, she, she requests prayer. And so Michael's going to read that to us and close in prayer. If you read my note to the class, Please have your class pray for the teens in the world who have absent fathers that someone will come into their life to show them an, an example of a good father so they don't end up looking for that in a boyfriend. Also have them pray for the males of the world or for their own sons that they will learn what it means to be a good father and emulate Christ's example. Let me, uh, let me just close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we always look to you, God, for um, our direction and how uh, you want us to live our lives. And Father, we look to you today um, to show us your love, your loyalty to us, and how we might um, live that out in our lives starting this second. Father, I just... Um, Christine's uh, email just resonates within my heart as I see uh, young ladies in my classes and uh, young men and how as I come into their world um, they don't really need a teacher they really need someone who will listen to them and who will uh, come alongside them and Father I just pray God that each one of us will have that opportunity, if not with our own children, but with, uh, with someone that we come into contact with, whether they be uh, young adults or those of our age. Father, that we, would, uh, that we would love them, that we would come alongside them, that we would be uh, Christ's example to them. But God, I, I do pray, as, uh, as Christine says, to... Um, to continue to be a good father and mother, to uh, emulate Christ to our children, and to pray diligently for those young men and women that they would have good examples in their lives from their parents, and for those young ladies who are looking for that love, let them find it in you. Let them find it somewhere else than in a boyfriend, God. Keep them pure. Give them... Uh, somewhere to turn. Just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Great. Thanks, Bob.